0: Each time we do the teleconferences, we're going to start um, the call with the inspiration of one of the women that are featured in our Celebrating Women Witnesses and More Celebrating Women Witnesses packets. Um, Since this is the month of February and we celebrate Black History Month, we chose Henriette DeLille. Um, The description that we give of Henriette in our packet says, a beautiful New Orleans quadroon Henriette refused to follow the rest of her family and register as white in the 1830 census. Instead, she founded a community of black sisters dedicated to serving the slaves. By recruiting her early followers from among the quadroons slated for concubinage, Henriette made a bold frontal attack on the sexual prerogatives and privileges of white male society, transforming their sassy sirens into sacred sisters. Against palpable historical odds, Henriette founded and nurtured her religious foundation. A prayer she wrote on the flyleaf of a devotional book anchored her life. She wrote, I believe in God. I hope in God. I love God. I want to live and die in God. So let's take a moment to remind ourselves of the presence of God on this call And then I'll invite you to respond to our opening prayer with these words of Henriette. Let us pray. O God of justice and love, we thank you for the life of blessed Henriette Lille and the witness of her sisters and friends, both black and white, male and female, who worked in spite of suffering and opposition to bring your love to a racist and sexist society. We give thanks for Jesus' spirit, who enables us now to pour out our own lives in behalf of your new creation, making all things new. We begin our time together, confident that your grace, love, and peace go with us as we pray with Maria DeLille. I believe in God. I hope God. I, hope I love God. God. I, I,
1: want love God. God. I,
0: want I want to live, I live, I die in God. Amen. And now to continue our agenda, I'm going to turn this over to Rita Hulahan.
2: Thank you, Emily. Um, good evening, everyone. This is Rita Hulahan. I'm a member of the board of Future Church and they're delighted to be able to introduce dr regina beauclair to you all this evening it's a true privilege to introduce dr beauclair she is a professor of religious studies and the cardinal newman chair of catholic theology at alaska pacific university in anchorage to me this proves she is a profoundly brave woman willing to face the cold for her work She holds a number of degrees, among them a PhD from Temple University and a Master's in Divinity from Yale, and teaches a wide range of courses, including World Religions, Catholic Social Teaching, and the Bible. Gina's article, uh, Amnesia in the Catholic Sunday Lectionary, and Ruth Fox's article, which focuses on the full lectionary, the woman missing from the full lectionary, both of them have affected me very deeply and have um, inspired me to dedicate time to learn more about these women of Scripture, and to work to spread the word about them. So it's doubly a pleasure to uh, be able to introduce Regina tonight. Um, after reading her article and roots, I have to say, it was like discovering an entire branch of my family tree that I had never known about uh, this branch filled with courageous, faithful grandmothers, aunts, sisters, nieces, and cousins. Uh, and it's been a joyful discovery. Um, also a little bit painful. <laughs> Tonight, Dina uh, will share some of her deep knowledge and insight into the vital and at times harmful role of the Roman Catholic Lectionary. And also, will introduce some of her favorite of these early women leaders. Um, I'll now turn the mic over to Professor Beauclair. Hello. The
3: conference Hello. is now in presentation mode.
1: Um, I'm Gina Warkler. I'm up in Anchorage, and it's not the cold; it's the dark. Uh, many of you in Chicago and in New England know no cold just as much as we do in Anchorage. Anyway i 'm going to start out with a definition and some general observations. Uh, many of you probably know this, but I need to need to set the stage so that we 're all on the same page. A lectionary is a list of passages from the Bible assigned to a particular occasion on the church calendar. Now I know that in Catholic Speak, we speak of a lectionary as a, as a as a book that includes includes the full text of the readings but in fact the term lectionary really really implies the list more than more than the book now by its very nature a lectionary includes some passages and excludes others and casts these passages into collections the selection collection, and context of the church calendar all influence what will be heard and affirmed in the worshiping assembly through a liturgical process that evokes amnesis. Now, amnesis is a $5 word for remembrance. Okay, by listening and affirming to the lections, the proclamation becomes real and present in the minds and hearts of those present. And this is what we affirm when we say, word of the Lord, thanks be to God, is we're affirming that this has gone in in some way into our minds and hearts. Now the lectionary presently used in the Catholic Church was produced in 1969 in fulfillment of a mandate from Vatican II's constitution on the liturgy that called for a new lectionary to be devised so that, quote, the treasures of the Bible are to be opened up more lavishly so that richer fare may be provided for the faithful at the table of God's word. Well, close quote, quote. When contrasted with the one-year lectionary that was that was uh, promulgated in 1570, the new lectionary um, that replaced it is beyond question to have achieved the gold. Its influence was enormous and many Protestants and Anglican churches soon adopted it with their own variations and it has said to be Catholicism's greatest gift to Protestant preaching. Now, that being one case, the lectionary has made a very positive contribution. On the other hand, we know that the lectionary functions as a canon within a canon. It's these texts and only these texts that are read, heard, and studied by significant numbers of church-going Christians. And the reason I say that is that Bible studies very often follow the lectionary uh, model. Uh, personal devotions tend to sometimes follow the Sunday lectionary model. And uh, so it is not... It's. Um, and this particular canon with the canon is not without its faults. Even the Pontifical Biblical Commission noted that considering the intent of the council, the existing lectionary, quote, in its present form only partially fulfills this goal. Now that's significant. That's that's the that's the that's a, a very important word. I don't think things are going to happen immediately right now. The Vatican's preoccupied with all kinds of other things, but the, this this particular call by the biblical scholars is not is not unimportant. There has been critique of the lectionary uh, on some very specific issues. Um, the they tend to be three issues. First of all, one issue is the Old Testament readings are not only too brief but they are set up in a t- tri- typological correspondence to the gospel. Now this typological correspondence for all its historical um, um, uh, influence actually at many, many instances gives a negative impression of Israel because Jesus is always gonna do it better. And that that's an um, unfortunate feature. One of the things that ha- happened in the process of formulating the lectionary is that they sent copies of their of their of, of a prototype to Europe, without and without any preparation to the people, started using them. Well, you know, Catholics were used to a really tiny little bit of reading, uh, a little snippet from an epistle, and uh, a one one section of a gospel. They weren't used to three long readings in a psalm. And the word came back to abbreviate it, and what they abbreviated was primarily the Old Testament reading, which has has been uh, an unfortunate feature. Now today, people are saying we want longer readings, which is interesting. So having had the taste of it and the experience of it over several years, we know that this is a valuable feature and that these readings should be more substantive okay the second critique is that many of the new testament readings foster an aspect of a traditional christian teaching of contempt towards jews and judaism that the church has made enormous efforts to reject since 1965 and this goes even beyond just the issues of jews and judaism because very often in certain types of patriarchal critique, Christian patriarchal critique, Jews and women are likened in similar and similar negative ways and negative stereotypes. So that's that's a, that's an important thing to consider. The third part is that the selections have omitted, hidden, marginalized, and made optional so many of the stories of women that the Sunday readings. In the words of Eileen Schuler, a Canadian biblical scholar, says that it gives the quote gives the impression the Bible is even more self male centered than one would find if one sat down and read it through as a whole close quote now that's that 's kind, that's kind of interesting uh, because we we do know the Bible is a patriarchal text, but you do have passages in which women are actors and very much part of the story of Israel and this time of Jesus in the early church. And this is the issue we are addressing today. A um, a Presbyterian scholar claimed very early on that the Sunday lectionaries suffer from amnesia. I loved the term. While the Bible does indeed uh, sacralize a patriarchal social structure founded on an androgynous view of God and humanity since it is, and is chiefly preoccupied with the stories of men, it also includes female images of God and provides accounts of many women in the stories of Israel, Jesus, in the early church. And and this is, this is uh, a, a reality. While some have observed the daily two-year lectionary or sanctoral Cycle lectionary, make use of many passages omitted in the three-year Sunday lectionary. The fact is that the way women are included in the reading in in all the lectionaries, the the anamnesis of Christians is really distorted. And um, that's that's really true. Now, I want to start out by saying that, first of all, I don't think that the daily lectionary... um, uh really ameliorates anything for most Christians. Most Christians do not attend Mass on a daily basis. Uh, this is the mindset of religious and uh professionals that um, that 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 uh forget to understand sometimes that you have to uh you have to think of a worshiping assembly as a Sunday assembly and and then then uh, the devotional assembly as the daily assembly okay now some some uh, talk on why some decisions were made particular decisions were made. The readings selected for the Sunday lectionary were determined by passages considered the most important. now who did this consideration the 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 study group. It was Study Group Eleven of the Concilium to implement the changes uh, uh, required by the the council document um, sent um, sent a request to biblical scholars throughout the world now these would all be all male biblical scholars and they were biblical scholars who were specialized in a particular book and they would ask them to identify what other passages that you think are very very significant in this book that that should be uh, considered for inclusion in the Sunday lectionary. And so that was, um, and that was one of the considerations. The other consideration was past traditions of, of, um, of reading certain biblical books at a particular season or time on the church calendar. Now, what they did, a fellow, Canadian fellow by the name of Father Fontaine, uh, prepared a chart of, of over 50 lectionaries uh, from the East and the Western churches, the Catholic, Protestant, Anglican churches, and these uh, gave uh, indication of certain patterns to read certain books at particular seasons, like the Gospel of John during the during the Lent and Easter season is, is one of the patterns that they found uh, that ended up influencing the selections in the lectionary. And then the third feature was that the stories that recount the story of a particular feast, for example, one wouldn't want to uh, have a story, uh, a parable on the on the celebration of Christmas. One would expect the resurrection on the, uh, an account of the resurrection on Easter and an account on the transfiguration, on the feast of the transfiguration. So, um, so that was, that's one pattern and that's been true of the lectionaries through the, throughout the ages. Now, in my article, Agnesia in the Catholic Sunday Lectionary, I argued that the First Testament readings present women as if they are derivative, disposable, and dangerous. Now, but they don't present many women. You have Eve presented three times, Lent 1A, it's coming up, and we're going to talk about that, 10 and... Uh, the Sunday, uh, the 10th Sunday and the seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time in Year B. You also have Sarah presented two times. You have the widow of Zarapath once. You have the Shunammite woman once. And in optional readings, in optional longer readings, uh, you could have a mention of Hagar and you could have mention of H- Hannah that is is optional. But um this is kind of an interesting feature. The list of women omitted is found in the attachment that was sent to you by by Future Church. Um if you wanted me to read it, I would, but I think you 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 can you can read them in the attachment. There's quite a few um few uh things that are, are there. I'd like to talk a little bit um uh on on the, some of these readings. The the Two readings from um particularly the reading from uh, of Eve and went one a that's going to be the story of the uh, of the uh, disobedience and that is going to be coupled with uh the uh, uh no i think that's the story of creation and she's and she's derivative uh in that of of adam um in um no yes and um it's also uh coupled with matthew 4 that contrast that contrast gen- gender the woman eve is uh is deceived by the serpent the man jesus resists evil jesus orders satan to depart eve encouraged her husband to eat in a col- in a collection with romans five twelve to 19 and matthew 4 1 to 11 the reading from Genesis can only convey that, the women, that women are dangerous to men. And that is a reading uh, from Genesis 2, 7 to 9, which has the derivative creation as well as the story of her, of her uh, disobedience. Now, the interesting thing is that Eve is the one that makes a decision in that whole episode. Adam eats, but in, in uh, Romans 5, Adam is given all the all the all the glory of being the the happy fault that brings upon the the savior. So it's Eve is is not even given credit for 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 that. It's kind of an interesting feature. Um in the the story with Sarah um at at Mamre, one of the stories of Sarah at Mamre, she's um with the she that that particular um, uh, pericope is coupled with the pericope from from uh, the gospel of Luke and Mary uh, Mary and Martha and, and and Jesus's visit in both instances the issue is hospitality that links them links them together and the but the interesting issue is that in the story of Sarah they have cut the story of Sarah off before she before she becomes a, a subject in her own right, she so far at, uh, in the reading, all at, uh, Abraham has told her to go in the kitchen and and and, and take care of uh, of the meal. Uh, then then later on in the pot that that's cut off, she actually hears the men's conversation and uh, and laughs because she's old and she's going to have uh, a baby. And God talks to her. And uh, and asks her why she laughed, and she says I didn't. So you have this little conversation between Sarah and God, and that's been cut off. So it highlights the importance of women's silence because because the fact is is that uh, Sarah has so far in the reading has nothing to say, and then Mary is praised in the other reading uh, for for one being being with Jesus. Now she has said nothing, but in fact. We we could well imagine that she is having a conversation and not just sitting there uh, listening. So those are those are are, um, are issues that we want want to consider. Now I I ask now does it, does the daily lectionary in any way really ameliorate the problem uh, or does it reinforce it? And I'm going to follow uh, Ruth Fox in this because I have not I do not study the this. The, the daily lectionary. I work for, primarily with the Sunday lectionary and all lectionaries, several of them. But um Ruth uh the story of Ruth uh it appears twice. Uh once on the uh Friday and the twentieth week in old in the in uh Ordinary Time and once on uh, and, and on Saturday in the twentieth week in ordinary time. But it's interesting what what this is. This isn't the story of Ruth's courage and and, and determination. The f- the first reading is the speech, the famous devotional speech to Naomi, where ever you go, I will go where that 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 one. And then um, the other, the second reading is the exaltation, her exaltation at bearing a son. So you ne- never see this woman. Uh, Acting and, and uh, working in her own right. There's another problematic reading in the in the um, in the uh, daily lectionary, and that is the reading from Two Kings, um, in which they find a scroll in the temple. And when the in the Bible, when they find the scroll in the temple, it's in Two Kings 22. They bring it to the pro- woman prophet Huldah to verify that this is what it is. And then it is brought and it's declared to be the, the to be the word of the Lord. What's very interesting is they eliminate everything about the woman holder in the thing. They so so verses fifteen through nineteen, which talks about this woman prophet, who's the one that in fact verifies that this is this, this is a sacred text. It has been completely eliminated. And Esther, um, uh, Esther is a is a woman of strength um but, uh, and they do in one weekday in lent they do have a reading on her prayer for strength but they there's no reading about her acts of bravery and so those are those are kind of kind of things that i think about and think we should be uh concerned with the the most egregious example however are two that follow on the 32nd sunday in ordinary time there are seven and in in year uh year C so this is this is this year the seven brothers hero uh uh go to heroic martyrdom uh in uh from a reading from Maccabees in to second Maccabees 7 20 to 23 the story cuts off before it talks about the the mother who had encouraged and endured this tragedy because of her hope in the lord and um it's it's a it's a it's a it's really uh, uh, almost a slam in the face that uh, this mother has been, has been cut out of the story. Um, then the other one that I find is a problematic is the and this is not true in the Canadian lectionary because Eileen Schuler had some discussions with the bishops before they uh they promulgated the lectionary text you have the exclusion of the story of Miriam and the women that ends the song of the sea from Exodus 15 that that particular verse Exodus 21 um, is one of the oldest segments of the bible and it is it is it is attached to Miriam and the women of Israel uh only later on did the song of Moses get created uh, amplifying what was originally uh Miriam's Miriam's story. And so it's it's really kind of sad that the Easter Vigil reads the amplification uh in the song of victory of Moses and the men and um uh, which uh really is an expansion of Miriam's song. Okay. Um so the, the this premises the readings um uh, suggest that women are from the Old Testament will suggest that women are derivative of men, dangerous to men, and except as the mothers of sons, they are just as dispos- disposable by, by men as the lectionary disposes of the other women in in um, in the uh, Hebrew Bible. Okay, take a second. We're going to go to the second reading. The second reading mentioned Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, pa- and Chloe in passing, but none of the other women who are important enough in the early church to be mentioned by name are included. So from Acts, you don't hear about Mary, mother of John Mark and Rhoda, or Tabitha, or Lydia, or Prisca, or the four prophet daughters of Philip. From the epistles of Paul, you don't hear about Phoebe, who is identified as a deacon, not a deaconess, a deacon, and Mary of Rome, Junior, who is identified as an apostle, and was her name was was. Uh, was replaced by a man's name for years and years and years because some scribe couldn't figure that that um that uh, a woman could be called an apostle. Uh okay, Trifenia Trifosa, Persis, Julia, U- Udoya, Sintice. Udoya and Sintice are particularly interesting there in the the book uh, the the letter to the Philippine Philippians, and they were Paul calls them his co-workers and they're having a little a little a little tip. Um, I don't know if one wants to be queen bee or something. Anyway, so Eudokia and Titus say, but they were leaders in the church. Appia, Nympha, Eunice, Lois, and Claudia. None of these women who are identified by name by Paul are mentioned. Okay, on the on Sunday readings from Acts, we do acknowledge. That women were part of the early community. And we also acknowledge that women and men were receptive to the charisma of the early preaching. Okay, so those two readings, okay. So they, they acknowledge that women are there. But then there's another reading which talks about women as the object of the church's ministry. They're not subjects, they're objects of the church's ministry in the widows in chapter 7 and Act, uh, the, Hel- the Hellenistic widows. And in another reading, they are opponents of Paul. So you get this interesting that they're, they're, they're not subjects, they're not leaders, they're, they're, they either, they are either objects of ministry or opponents. And that's what we're telling people when we, that's what's being conveyed, this is what women are when those readings are proclaimed. Now, from Paul, we do have two, two, two points. That, that Jesus was born of a Jewish mother, and that's in Galatians, and also in Galatians we have the uh the the baptismal formula in which uh that uh there is neither jew nor Greek male nor female slave nor free uh, jew, uh slave nor free we're all one in christ jesus that that very nicely which is the, the guiding post guideline of, of feminist hermeneutic um is included in the lectionary um but we 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 never never hear the fact that many of Paul's coworkers were women, and many of his house churches were led by women. It is clear that while there was no there was no systematic plot to exclude women from the lectionary at a, at a time of its formation, uh, it's just that the men didn't see it because they 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 were preoccupied with themselves. The churchmen in official positions in the Vatican are deaf to this. They are inclined to sense that feminist scholars are, in quote, deceiving the hearts of the innocent. That's a quote from Romans 16:18. Uh, 18. Uh, rather, the lactionary deceives Catholic assemblies by forgetting the witness and ministry of early Christian women. Admittedly, things could have been worse. The uh, call to silence the a very strong call to silence that no woman may teach uh in one Timothy is not in the lectionary, nor is the call to women's veiling in the Sunday lectionary. They are probably in the daily lectionary. I haven't I, I as I said my research primarily is on the Sunday lectionary. Uh anything I say about a daily lectionary is derivative of, of others. Okay. The household codes also are in the lectionary. Um we have Ephesians five this, this is the, these are the household codes in which women, wives are to be subordinate or subject to their husbands. And, um, and that's in Ephesians 5:21 to 32. That appears in one of the readings in year B. And there is a reading from Colossians 3, 12, 17, uh, which is um, right on the Holy Family, the Feast of the Holy Family. And it's interesting. I can remember as a child my, on the feast of the Holy Family, my father would be, would knew, know what the know that this this is an old reading and always was on the feast of the Holy Family. And my father would be running down downstairs, yelling up to the two, to to, his, to his, my mother and me that the that is the the parents the 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 father is the head of the family, and we would all we would all. Tell him that he didn't know what he was talking about, but that's entirely beside the point. Um, the, it's, inter- it's interesting that the lectionary, those readings from the household codes, omit slavery and admit the subordination of, but admit the subordination of wives rather than rather than to understand that that's a that is a relationship of partnership, and and that the ideals of the first century household codes. Um, were of greco roman origin they were not christian they were standard they started to be adopted by the christian church when the church got so large that they were attracting attention of their neighbors and the idea of equality uh, of leadership was was scandalous so, so patriarchy came down real hard and that is something that actually happens in other movements that I've experienced in the church. When, when a grou- group is very small and, and, growing, uh, very often you have an equality of, 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 leadership and, um, and, and ministry. And as it gets, as it goes along, uh, time, uh, time happens that they rediscover patriarchy. It's important to note, and some of you may know this, or probably some of you don't, that the United States Bishops many years ago, many many years ago, declared that the problem verses about wives being subordinate uh, were optional, and that that uh, they could be omitted from the from the from the from the, the lection. Uh, some places they are. When I was in Philadelphia, they were always omitted, and. But uh up here in Alaska that they're they're not omitted. But one of my really nice pastors tried really hard to put it in a positive light by talking about the, the difference in the community um uh, with, with, uh Christians uh who were counseled to love their wives, whereas in um in Greco Roman society that wasn't always the case. Um it it was sort of sorry, but no cigar on that one. Um the um, there is a principle in the lectionary at its very formation which says difficult passages may be omitted, and there are. So this this is an a, a interesting issue, and that could be uh, important. I want to say a little bit before I turn to the Gospels about um, that uh, the Sunday lectionaries, the readings from Paul and Acts barely whisper about women. It's interesting to juxtapose this fact with the following words from The Role of Women in Evangelization of Peoples, a document issued in 1975 by the Vatican Congregation for Evangelization. And I quote this. Women are capable of giving themselves without counting the cost. The church can never thank them enough. Silence and contemplation for which women are suited by nature should find expression in liturgy and in paraliturgy, close quote. Selfish, selfless giving and silence are strategies that women have perfected over the centuries to survive and to participate in a world from which they have been marginalized. These strategies can be powerful, but they also have undesirable effects. Feminists have for a long time recognized that the root sin of women as women is a negation of self and the dependence on others for self-affirmation. The Vatican document, briefly cited above, contains a long-winded stereotypical description of women's selfless qualities, celebrates and praises women's silence and, and, and in purple prose, and thanks women as if they were not already part of the church. The Sunday lectionary emulates the silence the Vatican emu- claims to be integral to women's nature. This silence discloses another premise of the androcentric hermeneutic: set in the lectionary. The women from the early church are incidental. Now we turn to the story and the gospel. And in, in the gospel readings, there's an astonishing om- omission, and that is... There's an omission of the story in Luke of the bent woman who likely suffered from osteoporosis. It's not in the Sunday lectionary, and that is the only miracle of Jesus that not, is not in the Sunday lectionary at least once. Now, this is only in Luke, but every other only, only in one gospel miracle appears, but this one and this one of a woman does not appear, and that's that's kind of that's kind of a uh, sad. This is this is the woman who is called a daughter, a daughter of Israel, and um, and is healed by Jesus. Um, another sh- sh- uh, omission that I find problematic is the fact that the story of the woman that gets Jesus to change his mind, and she's a a syro woman in Mark, and a Canaanite woman in Matthew. Now that is in the lectionary in um, in. Uh, In math, in its Mathean form, but it's not in its Markan form. And this is the only character whose wit and wisdom gets Jesus to change his mind. And I I think that's kind of, that's kind of an unfortunate feature that that one is accumulated. Particularly when, uh, when you have numerous occasions where the stories of men are put in all four, put in 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 the form from all four gospels. Now, some of the Gospels have optional women. women who, the women who stand by the cross from Mark, Matthew, and Matthew on Passion Sunday on A and B can be omitted. Now, this in, this in Mark and Matthew is where you find out that women were part of the Jesus community from the, from the first place. Now, I think that's sad, but I also happen to know that in the long reading on Passion Sunday, it's the, the big point is apt to be lost. Um, there's, uh, it's optional to omit the story of the woman, the hemorrhaging woman, uh, that's in the middle of the healing of Jarrah's story in a Mark Sandwich that is, uh, in 13, uh, um, 13, uh, Sunday, an ordinary time in year B. Uh, Mark has a tendency to, to sort of tell, start to tell a story, put another story in the middle, and then tell, tell, then finish, finish the story. It's called the Mark Sandwich. And this is the most famous one. And this story of this older woman is taken out and and what you have left is the story of a miracle to a young girl who is and, and which is done as a favor to her father so there's, there's the the woman's own personal initiative is is um is is diminished uh, in in this uh by this by this uh by the omission now some some people will do the longer reading, but some people won't um there's uh, a story of um the woman who anoints jesus's head in mark in the passion narrative in year b is uh is optional and i'm going to talk about that particular story uh later, but it's optional in year b it is in year a um and um, but that's that's something that's a particular story that has so much significance it should be in another part uh during during the year. Um, then there's the prophet, and in Anna in Luke um, uh, at uh, at the at the presentation of Jesus, uh, you have the the talk of Simeon uh, n- noting uh, Jesus, and but it's optional to omit that he was also noted by uh, the prophetess Anna, who uh, goes along and praises God that she has she has seen the seen the, 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 the child. Um, there's one passage that I find very troublesome, and that is, again, the anointing, the woman who anoints Jesus' head, and it's in Mark and Matthew, and, uh, oh, and it's, it's, oh, it's omitted in Mark. I'm sorry, my, 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 my notes were, I, I didn't, wasn't following my notes. It's omitted in the passion narrative of Mark. It's optional to be in the passion narrative of, of, uh it's omitted in the passion narrative of of matthew but it's optional in the passion narrative of mark but it's hidden in this long in this very long lection now the significance of this woman is that by her very prophetic action she was making a silent confession of Je- profession of Jesus as the son of god because anointing the head is how you is how you anointed the kings of Israel who were declared to be sons of God on the, at their, at their at their anointing. And this is what she's doing and, and she's linking it and Jesus links the anointing with her with with his death, which is which is the a very significant part of Mark to say that until you understand that Jesus is the one who suffers and dies, you don't really understand that he is truly the son of, it, really who the son of God is, and who it is you are following, and who, who you are expected to follow um, follow and, uh, and, and be aware, because he's not just a miracle worker. Um, that, those readings from Matthew and, and Mark should have been a separate reading on itself in year A and year B instead we have we do have um the reading of the sinful woman who washes Jesus's feet with her tears in luke um and um in in year c and that's that's given uh uh some prominence and in the longer reading there's an unfortunate feature here usually I prefer the longer reading but the 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 longer reading here is unfortunate because uh it It goes on beyond the story of the sinful woman in which her sins are forgiven, to identify Mary Magdalene uh, and other women who follow Jesus and provide for them. And then you say Mary Magdalene from whom he has cast out seven demons, the issue being here that that you can connect, as has the church for centuries connected the sinful woman, uh, who washed Jesus' feet with, uh, with Mary Magdalene? There is nothing in the in the whole of the Bible to suggest that Mary Magdalene is sinful. Being possessed of demons could mean that she had she had headaches. That they attr- they attributed all kinds of illnesses to demons, uh, and so that's that's um, that's a that's a problematic passage. Okay, well we're coming down now here. Amnesia. This is the problem the lectionaries suffer from amnesia. Proctor Smith has it right. It's an but it's an illness of the mind. And in reality, all who although all who are connected with someone who is afflicted with amnesia are affected, amnesia is not infectious. However, the the amnesia in the lectionary is contagious. It, it infects the amnesis, the remembrance of the story of Israel, of the story of Jesus, of the story of the early church. It afflicts the members of the assembly to internalize a systematic culture in which women are marginally, uh, marginalized and, uh, and uh, marginally important, if not just marginally human. Because women's witness from the Bible is silenced, the present Sunday lectionary teaches that apart from their function as mothers of sons, there is nothing significant about women's experience to celebrate as word of the Lord. This silence betrays a mindset that women are human only to the degree that they are like men. It tells women that they should be honored to identify with the stories and images of men and to make them their own ideal. It tells men they have nothing to learn from the women in the Bible, and it appears to be protected them from identifying with these lesser humans. This silence discloses another premise of the androcentric hermeneutic of the compilers of the lectionary. Women's particular experience as women are irrelevant to the lives of Christians. Thus, it is perfectly consistent to suppress and silence the image and stories of women in the Bible and honor the admonition, I permit no woman to teach or have authority over a man. She is to keep silent, close quote, 1 Timothy 2.12. An androcentric hermeneutic, that an interpretation, hermeneutic means interpretation, that conceives of women, as the most appropriate image for human deficiencies, marginalize women as derivative, disposable beings who, if not silent, silenced, and submissive, are dangerous to men, has a significant negative consequence for both the sons and daughters of an institution that claims for itself the image of mother. And that's my talk. Presentation mode is now disabled.
0: Thank you very much, Regina. We appreciate your words you spoke and the words that we've been able to read and the passion with you um, share this. I'd like to give um, our participants, all of us, a chance to ask Regina some questions. Um, Because our group is rather large, um, I'm going to call out a geographical area If you're in that area and would like to ask a question, you could do so at that time, um, making sure that you are unmuted, star six, and that you begin with your uh, name. um, Starting as the sun does from east to west, um, we'll start with the uh, northeast. Is there anyone in the northeastern United States that has a question?
2: Uh, hi, Emily, it's Rita. Okay, Rita, you can go
0: ahead and ask a question.
2: I'm sort of mid-Atlantic in New York here, but uh, I think I fit Northeast okay. Um, Gina, first, thank you very much. It was it was really fascinating to listen to you. Um, I'm very curious about the miracle of the bent woman. And um, are there are two things that have puzzled me. In that uh, parable. Jesus calls her over is that supposed to tell us that she's the temp, you know, the temple was uh, male and female and he's calling her over to the male side of the temple that's my first question and that that therefore would be significant um and then also he calls her a daughter of Abraham or in some or Israel as you said but in I've seen it translated daughter
3: of Abraham it's Abraham
2: a oh, daughter of Abraham um that sounds important to me but I don't really have a context of it um is that like saying you're a child of God, or is it something even bigger? Like you, you, she, through her devotion, has become like a descendant of, of Abraham, and has a secure place at God's right hand, or something? You know, I know those are my two questions. You know, why okay. is it important that he calls her over to him, and then the significance of daughter of Abraham?
1: Um, I'll be very honestly, I haven't, I haven't got, uh, I haven't looked at that to talk about uh, the, the first one I will in a second though uh but uh, as far as the daughter of abraham all all Jews were daughters of abraham uh uh-huh. so all jewish women and it's it's a way of saying you are part of the you are part of our people uh uh-huh. it's, it's, it's she she's significant because she's she's a daughter of abraham um and and um and um that that um, and and that and that. Do you have the text of that in front of you? Uh, can Give me the.
2: Okay, I'll you know I'll pull it up right now, and I'll, I'll let someone else ask a question, and then we can come back to this one.
1: Okay.
0: Great. Um, anyone else from the Northeast, New England, Mid Atlantic states that would like to ask a question? Okay, um, let's move on to the Midwest, which would be East,
3: North, Central, and West Central states. I'm Maria Stone, and I've got a question for Regina. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. Oh. Okay. Hi, Regina. Thank you again for your presentation. And thank you for being willing to do it twice today. I'm a to chunk of time out of your day. Um, could you tell us a little bit, in your opinion, um some of the implications of our not remembering of our collective forgetting um the women, especially in those New Testament letters of Paul.
1: Well, I think it, it it's it's significant. The implication of it is that it is is that uh women in leadership roles in ministry have have been completely have been completely obliterated and we have no uh we have no uh, sense of uh, not not totally liberated but but you know the 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 larger they're they're there by concession not by choice and um and i'm not saying that's true of all churchmen at this particular time i don't i don't believe that um uh that's not my experience as a matter of fact but the the um, (laughs) uh the uh i think that 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 reinforces the idea that you have uh that that women's roles are not in 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 that kind of in the leadership positions so it's kind of take it's
3: taken away the the memory of the yeah beginning. it's take when you take
1: away the memory of this that this was the way it was and uh that that some of these some of these women are are um very um very very important um in the uh in the uh ministry of the church um they um they uh it 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 has its it has its features that's all
3: okay
2: thank you oh uh, hi this is uh emily this is rita again with the question um okay. But you know the the text is Luke uh, 13 10 to 17 and it just says okay. very simply, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Um, there appeared a woman.
1: Okay. Triple, um, the, he, it just says we, he pulled her over. Okay, we have absolutely no idea what the relation what the uh, situation was in synagogues in the first century. Okay. Uh, People, people like to think that they were always separated. We have no idea whatsoever. So it's, it's, we can't make a, we can't make a conclusion, draw any conclusion on that.
2: Thank you.
4: This is Chris, if I could but in just one second. Bernadette Bruton did some research on, uh, women in the Jewish synagogues, and apparently there is some data to support that at least in Jewish synagogues, some women were leaders, so that's
1: uh, leadership in the Hellenistic and in, in the diaspora, right.
4: uh,
1: in the diaspora, and what and and um, that that's why I'm saying I I I wouldn't make a statement that calling her over was was of any significance because we we can't we can't determine that, and uh, yeah we do have that that idea that the women had were leaders in uh, in in uh, in Greek synagogue. Any other question? I do want to call attention to a resource um, that I, I I put out on um, on uh, the on the handout, and it's called Remembering the Women: uh, Women's Stories from Scripture for Sundays and Festivals. And it's actually a lectionary, and it it doesn't always have three readings for each day, but it has at least one reading that uh, involves women for each of its occasions. It also has articles by Ruth Fox and. Uh, and uh, I mean Schuler, that are really quite quite excellent, and that's put out by Liturgical uh, Training Publications.
0: And if you haven't received the handout um, by email today, um, feel free to email me, and I will send it to you. I tried to get them out to everyone today, but um, might have missed someone. Is there anyone from the South um, or the West like this?
3: question Um this is Fredrika
1: from Nashville Tennessee and I guess I have a a, a strange question. Uh, you've been talking about Ruth, and you should believe when I hear that
4: reading Mostly, I've heard though that uh, like holy unions, were lesbian, and I was sort of wondering if maybe some people thought that Naomi and Ruth like had a uh, same-sex relationship. Does anybody that, know
1: even? I I don't do that. That I'm not. I I haven't heard that. I've just it's it's used often. It, it's used often in weddings because they don't realize that it's it's she's saying that to her mother, and um I don't think that's what's going on in this in this in this uh story. The story is created largely to largely to show that that israel um israel was not ethnically pure okay, thank you.
0: Any other questions um, this is
2: Kathleen in California? um I just had a question you um thank you very much, Regina, for your presentation. It's always lovely to get this injection of motivation for why we're doing this work um and you said that quote about and I can't remember where it came from about how they described women as you know focusing on the selfless qualities and the silence and reflective nature of women. I'm wondering yeah, if you can yeah. get a copy of that quote. Um, it's just one of those things that I like to hear me to keep myself motivated to prove that, you know, to to give me motivation for this fight. So, just a question as to whether or not we can have that quote that you said. I
1: can tell you where to find it. Um, I don't. I don't have the whole thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in a 1975 document on um, uh, from the. The Congregation of the Evangelization of People. Uh, and I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find the place in my article where I, where I, um, where I, um, had it. And you could probably get a quote from that, uh, get that, um, that would be in a, that, that, that would be in some seminary library, um, okay. Those documents and, um, and uh that's where I found it anyway and i i I did something a study in graduate school that, uh before that they did the pastoral on women uh, they were if they had it was the intent that if they actually did put out a pastoral, I would be prepared to write a a um a commentary, but they didn't put it out, so i didn't i didn't write I, that.
3: If I could interject for a second, this is Joan. Um, I think those documents are online. Okay. if I put even part of that quote from Regina's article in a Google search, you might be able to just pull it up.
1: Yeah, that's probably true.
0: And Regina, you said it's in your article. Is it in the
1: um, Amnesia in the Catholic Lectionary article? Or a, yes. A different article. Yes. It's in that article. It's in that article. It's towards the end, and I'm trying to find find I'm trying to find it, but my pages are are, are sort of mixed up and so, so. Go on and ask questions, and I'll be flipping out. And if I find it, I'll I'll let everybody know.
0: Great. Um, is there any other region, and we also, or anyone from outside of the United States that would like to ask a question?
1: Excellent. Quiet out there tonight. Um, I have I have the name of it. It's called the Role of Women in the Evangelization of Peoples, and it's in okay. 1975 by the Vatican Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples.
0: Okay, thank you. Any other questions?
2: Last chance with this evening. Uh, Could I ask a second question? This is Rita again, Rita Houlihan. Um, I'd like to see, uh, Regina, from your experience of, you know, working in different environments, um, you know, college and, I guess, seminaries, and I, I know you worked in a deacon program um, and have been in different parishes. Have you seen any ways that people have successfully... Drawn attention to some of these women in in the liturgies
1: I have not uh experienced that to be perfectly honest um, the um, probably more in Philadelphia, um when I was in graduate school and on a on a liturgy committee that literally ran the parish um we had a very very uh, affirming um, and uh, affirming a pastor of all of of the women and that that worked that worked and and i did i did some work on um on an inclusive language lectionary that um, that would add in the the verses that were were uh, omitted um, i i'm sure that probably is no longer used but that's that that's what we we did. And um, we had that going for us. And the only other thing is that, um, in uh, my experience in Berkeley, uh, in, in the Berkeley com- um, GTU community, there's lots of stuff that celebrates the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know that, that this particular issue is something that men and women in the seminaries, uh, particularly uh, the Franciscan School and the Jesuit School, find to be, uh, they're they very surprised to discover how much is missing. And thank you. And I think that question is a
0: segue to our next agenda item. But uh, Joan Broush will be um, sharing about some suggestions on how to do, just as Rita said, it's bringing women more to light. Uh, Joan, can
3: you go ahead? Yes, I will, thank you. Uh, My name is Joan Broush, and uh, there's a little introduction about me in the agenda, but I will just reiterate that um, I live in Midland, Michigan. Um, I worked in parish work for 20 years. I'm retired now. I was Director of Worship for nine years, and then Director of Adult Faith Formation for nine years, so um, I have lots of practical experience. Um, I've let, done some retreat work, I've um, created prayer services, and have all kinds of fun doing that. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, in particular, the Lent and Holy Week and Easter uh, Future Church resources that can help us highlight um, some of the forgotten women in the lectionary. Um, if you go to the Future Church website, which is futurechurch.org, Um, The Holy Week and Easter Packet can be found under the Women in the Word icon, which you'll see on the main page. And it's on the left-hand side. You click on that icon or picture, and you'll be taken to the Women in the Word page. And on the right side of the page, there's a menu of choices. And on that menu, you will see something that says W-A-T-W, which is Women in the Word, Holy Week and Easter Resource Packet. And that, if you want, is gonna give you some wonderful resources. And there's two sections, one for Holy Week and one for Easter. And in those sections, you'll find concrete suggestions for including deleted sections of the scripture readings for both seasons in consultation with your pastor. Or you could use those deleted sections um, of the readings, um, and meaning the whole reading with the deleted sections. Um, with school children in daily prayer, if you happen to be a teacher, um, or you could use them with your faith formation classes um, of any age. You could use them in parish meetings for prayers. You could use them with your RCIA sessions so they have a chance to experience the whole reading. You could use them in any kind of parish gathering or any small faith groups. Um, one thing I was thinking about as I was preparing this little presentation is that many parishes have um, Lenten programs uh, that offer all kinds of enrichment and prayerful evenings during the week during Lent. And your parish might have already planned something for this year, but I think this is one place where we can have an impact in future years. And I've done this by highlighting, for example, um, for the great covenant stories of the cycle A readings. And I made sure that the wives of Adam's which would be Eve, um, but the wives of Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Jacob and David were included in the storytelling that we did during the six weeks of Lent. The same thing could be done um, for all, any of the cycles on um, any of the stories that were told during those six weeks of Lent. So the Future Church Materials also offer two beautiful prayer services for Good Friday that could be used any time during Lent. And one of those prayer services include Stations of the Cross. Um, I remind you too that in the weeks of Lent and Easter, there are plenty of non-Eucharistic prayer times that women can preside at. There's Ash Wednesday, which, is, which can be a non-Eucharistic celebration. There's evening prayer, there's Stations of the Cross, and even Good Friday, which is a non-Eucharistic celebration. So it can't hurt to talk with your pastor if you might feel he could be open to this. Um, in the Easter section of the future church packet, there's a suggestion that you might want to start a Women in the Word column in your bulletin. If you're lucky enough to have a large parish with a large bulletin, this might work. Um, but if you have an email list of friends or an email list of catechists, you could still do it. You could send out a weekly note to highlight a story, of a woman of the Hebrew or Christian st- scriptures using the future church materials. This way you can tell the story. Um, the last item in the packet is a lovely Pentecost evening prayer, which is modeled on the evening prayer for Pentecost. And it features the voices of six spirit-filled contemporary women from around the world. I tried to, I, I created the prayer and I tried to find a woman from each of the great continents. And I've used the prayer service and I think it's inspiring. We had great fun celebrating it. You could use it any time of the year, but near Pentecost it has particular power. Again, the Holy Week and Easter packet can be found under the Women in the Word icon on the main futurechurch.org page. You click on the icon and you'll be taken to the Women in the Word page. And then on the right hand of that page is that menu of choices, and you click on the Women and the Word Holy Week and Easter resource packet. Also, if you go um, back to the main Future Church page, further down, you will find an icon that says Celebrating Women Witnesses. And there are two packets there that have um, prayer services that have that highlight various women of church history, but many of them are women of the early church. And those could be used during Easter season. So I wanted to just mention them because they are women like Prisca and Phoebe and Felicity and Perpetua, as well as Mary of Nazareth and Mary of Magdala. So those could be used as well. So that's all I have to say. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Joan, and thanks for all you've contributed to us. Our next agenda item is um, that we just want to have the opportunity to open up um, for questions that you may have about programming and resources. We've asked Chris Schenck, our executive director, to, um, to answer the questions that you may have. I think you are all so very polite. I feel a need to call out the regions. But um can just kind of have an open forum if you. Remember to unmute yourself with star. Manage self. Amen. Happy. Any questions?
3: Chris, are you
0: there and ready?
4: I'm here. Okay, great.
0: Does anyone want to ask any specific questions for Chris?
4: I guess not.
0: <laughs> Chris I'm um, at a loss for words, so I'm sure she'll tell you what answers to the questions you didn't know you had.
3: I have a question.
0: Go ahead. My yes. name and is me. I'm from Ohio. And um I'm just wondering this isn't about programming necessarily, mm-hmm. but like when I read at mass, um what what can be done? Uh, on a personal level or an institutional level, to make the language of the readings more inclusive.
4: Um, I love that question, Shannon. And is it Shannon? Annie. Oh, okay. Um, I think that it. A lot depends on what kind of a relationship you have with your pastor. But I know in my parish, I mean, my pat, my former pastor used to the lectionary that we use. Um, he wrote in inclusive language mm-hmm. so that all of the lectures were trained in that way. Now, the new pastor, I'd, I don't know that he's written stuff in, but uh, most folks have been so educated in it that they just automatically include it. You know, they, they read the reading inclusively. Um, but obviously this is something that your pastor has to be comfortable with, and you don't want to get too far into changing this the wording, except that there are many words in um, Hebrew that should be um, translated inclusively uh, because they were meant inclusively. Like just an example is the word diakonos, which is Phoebe was called a diakonos. So when um, we know that there were women deacons, and so when you read diakonoi in the Greek, it it can be women and men, or adelphoi can be brothers and sisters. So that's one um suggestion. There were a number of I think a Diocese of Richmond had a wonderful um thing on inclusive language um at one time. And so I, I think it's a it's an extremely important issue, um that certainly I know I felt as a lector that obligated to make sure that I it was an inclusive reading. There's also a text from um, scripture readings that subordinate women, don't let them happen in your parish. That we have available in some of our resources. That it doesn't address the inclusivity language as much as it does. Just going on Holy Family Sunday and telling your priest you don't want to read wives be subordinate to your husbands. You know, in lots of places that's not going to happen unless people take it themselves to the pastor.
0: Okay. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Any other questions? And, and I I'm not gonna say I have answers. Sometimes <laughs> we just have another question. <laughs> okay, um maybe just one brief thing I could say about our advocacy at the Senate on the Word, uh, because we are continuing to follow um an obvious uh, concern about in some from some bishops around the world. Uh, we know that they did discuss the deleted women at the lectionary in their small groups um, at this 2008 Synod, and even went to, so far as to have two propositions, one praising women in the ministry of the word, and one calling for a, an open study of the reopening the lectionary to bring the text into line with uh current contemporary situation, certainly along some of the lines that Regina spoke of where the um first test the first reading doesn't always give the the best um, light on our Jewish sisters and brothers but also because of the we had sent them Regina's article, all the English speaking bishops all over the world asking um, and many of them had no idea of how systematically the women's stories were deleted out. And so um, we know from some bishop friends who were there that there was discussion, and we have followed up now with some advocacy, both with some sympathetic um, bishops in Rome, as well as some sympathetic um, folks from both Europe and the United States who are open to advocating on behalf of this with the Congregation um, for Divine Worship, even going so far as having um, uh, having the idea of uh, putting in a proposal to have a supplement to the lectionary um, that would, they're not gonna reopen the lectionary because it's just so expensive and time-consuming, they're not gonna reprint it right away. So until that happens, though, we could create a supplement so that if it was approved by the appropriate officials could be used all over the world we have some hopes for that um and we will continue to follow it um but one the other piece is what i would say and i really appreciated joan's great review it's one thing to try to do that kind of advocacy but for me where the rubber really meets the road is what people do in their own home parishes and small faith communities and so um, we're going to have a part two of our women in the Word with um, specific things, trying to reach out to Catholic colleges, Catholic high schools, Catholic seminaries, um, asking them to have at least one unit on, when they teach any course on the New Testament, it should have at least one unit on the women of the New Testament, likewise with women of the Old Testament, one unit, and certainly women in church history, or we'll never retrieve the memory of historic women, biblical women um, that Regina spoke to so passionately. And so that's where you all come in. Um, We hope that will be available by mid-April. And um, I think that's probably it for me, and there are other questions that people have.
3: This is Betty in California. I have a question um, about, uh, I've heard certain people who, are a bit um, who love their church and they love their community, but uh, are going to Mass and not feeling necessarily fulfilled because um, the role of women is 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 being put um, back on the sidelines um, more than perhaps they're feeling comfortable with. And I've heard about this movement towards house churches, um,
4: are there resources for these? Um, well, certainly, the um, in our Advancing Women in Church Leadership packet, we have a thing of resource called Lydia's House for people who want to form uh, that very kind of inclusive faith community, and it helps you know, um, helps gives you some idea for how to go about doing it. Now, many people are doing quote-unquote house churches as they stay, but at the same time, they're staying part of their parish. So it's sort of a both-and kind of situation that, you know, certainly the women church convergence um, that started with water. There are many um, uh, women church uh, uh, gatherings. Um, So I I think it, it is a situation of women having to find affirmation someplace because it's very difficult to go to your parish and feel like invisible or not respected. And and so one of the things, of course, we're always saying at Future Church, we're trying to make the church better, and certainly we are very committed to this for the long haul because it's not going to get any better if all of us just leave, you know. But in the meantime, we've got to nourish and nurture ourselves. And so I'm glad you raised the question, and one of the ways that people are doing it is through house churches, small faith communities, um, that that kind of um, prayer and worship experience. Thank you. Does that help? Yes, it does. Good. Anyone else? Well, we're just all grateful you all are there (laughs) Mm -hmm. doing all these good things. (laughs)
0: I want to um, remind you that if you're not signed up for our e-news, um, we would invite you to do that. Um, it's easy to do from the future church site, futurechurch.org. I'll also send you an invitation um, to do that, but it is um, a good way to keep updated. Um, when we finish our next resource packet about Women in the Word, we'll send out an email when our Mary Magdala organizing kit is ready, we send out an email, breaking news, etc. So we really um hope that you will sign up for our e news um if you haven't already. And I'll um be sure to send that link to you tomorrow. We'd like to end our call tonight with a prayer. Um uh, we, um, I would like to offer a prayer and then have you all respond with, again, with the words of Henriette DeLille. So, oh, good and gracious God, as we end this call, we give you thanks for the wisdom shared here across the many miles. And uh. so we gather again, give us hope and, our, and joy in our work for the good of the church. And so we pray. I believe in God, I, in God. God.
3: I, hope, I hope in, in God. God, I love, I love God, God. And I, I want, want to live and, live
4: and
2: die in God, God. In God. In God.
4: Amen. Amen. amen.
0: Thank you very much for joining us. This concludes our call.
2: Thank you. Good night.
4: Thank you. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. God bless.